0: One of the most important things that project managers in engineering can do is provide value to their clients at every angle. In this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, I'll be talking with Scott West, the mechanical engineer from HFA in Fort Worth, Texas. And Scott's gonna give us a lot of insights into how to add value, how his MBA helped him as a project manager. And in the PM Pitfall at the end of the episode, he's also gonna tell us about a big mistake that most PMs make when estimating the fees for their projects, they forget to add this one thing in. Let's jump right in with Scott West. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. Scott West is a mechanical engineer from HFA in Fort Worth, Texas. Scott, welcome to the Engineering Project Management Podcast.
1: Thanks a lot, Anthony. Glad to be here.
0: So Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do on a daily basis at HFA, but also kind of your career journey, how you got to where you are today.
1: Here at HFA, I head up our efforts related to energy efficiency and also commissioning work. And in addition, I get pretty heavily involved in quality control as well for supporting our engineering and architecture practice. I guess kind of starting with where I got to for here. So I was did a Bachelor of Science degree in mechanical engineering, and this is all at the University of Arkansas out of Fayetteville. And then I went straight into an MBA program and got a master's with a focus in finance. After I finished this, I was ready to get out there and do some work. So started right in the industry and have been in it ever since. I guess that was about 16 years ago.
0: Let me ask you a question about that in terms of the MBA. Was that something that you did part-time while you worked or was it a full-time program?
1: I went and did a full-time program and just kind of decided I wanted to have that business knowledge in addition to the technical. And so I decided it would be a lot easier to just get it done when I was young and life was simple and uh, just kind of knocked it out.
0: And you did that like right after school or did you work for a little while before you went back?
1: Correct. So I did intern in the engineering industry beforehand, but that was during school, during undergrad. And then as soon as I finished that program, I started in with the MBA uh, the following fall.
0: How have you felt that it's helped you in your career so far?
1: Yeah, I think it has definitely helped. I kind of feel like I understand what a lot of owners are trying to do of folks that I deal with that are either developers or property managers and I can kind of have an added perspective of what they're trying to achieve. And same with project managers too, because I started out in just technical work for the most part, starting out and working for other project managers. And I feel like having that business background, at least at a minimum, gave me an understanding of what everyone was trying to work towards. And kind of as I've matured as an engineer of the years, it's something that I kind of can draw from more and more, i found.
0: That can be a real value add if you can think like the client a little bit or the owner of your projects, right? Get into their minds a little bit, understand the back business side of it. I think that can almost make you a more valuable consultant, right? Because you're thinking like them and which means you can kind of help them. So I think that's great. And one last question I'll ask you before we kind of dive into project management here is, How did you select building commission? How did you know you wanted to get into that field buildings, commissioning from your uh, undergrad?
1: Actually, that's not really how I started. So I started out doing mechanical design for more conventional heating, ventilation, air conditioning, as well as plumbing. And after a couple of years, I started to kind of gravitate towards energy efficiency and sustainability, there was something called the lead rating system was kind of taking off around that time. And I kind of got tasked with learning about it for on behalf of my company at the time. And it's something that just became a greater and greater focus for me and was something that I could actually get excited about getting up out of bed every day.
0: Well, that's great. And that's kind of the reason I asked because... I think it's nice as an engineering professional to know that you're not necessarily married to one discipline when you graduate from school and that you do have some flexibility if you see something that you like, if you hear about something that you like. I mean, I'm a civil engineer, but I've met mechanical engineers that work in the civil engineering world now. So I think there's a lot of flexibility in engineering. And for those of you out there that maybe aren't crazy about what you're doing, there certainly are other potential opportunities for you. And and Scott's obviously proof of that in that way. So that's good to hear that. Let's dive into project management a little bit here. How are project management skills used in the building design and construction industry? Just talk about that kind of big picture.
1: I would say for building design and construction, the whole industry is really project-based. And so if you're coming in in a technical role uh, out of school, for instance, or even an experienced professional, you're gonna be thrown into a project environment pretty much from day one. And so I find Project management skills to be something that anyone on a project team can benefit from, even if you're not the one kind of organizing the entire thing. But it's pretty crucial, right? So projects are a little bit different from, say, products, where a lot of other engineers might end up on a a more product based field. But with projects, we kind of have a start and an ending, and it's not always very clear cut when those dates are, but we tend to deliver something that is a one-off. So even prototypical projects, if we design a building in a different location, there's always something that's a little bit different.
0: I think what you said there is important. Number one, it's important to remember that a project does have a defined beginning and end. And I know sometimes they take a lot of time to get to that end, but that's something that kind of how PMI defines a project is it has a beginning and an end. So that's good to keep in mind. But the other thing I think that Scott said that's really important is that In a lot of industries today, it's really beneficial for recent graduates, kind of right out of the gate, to start to understand project management. The big fail that I've seen with a lot of consulting firms based on the corporate learning and development that we do, we do a lot of PM training, is they wait kind of too long to give that fundamentals training until like someone's either gonna be a project manager or they are a project manager ready for, you know, a couple of months and then they want to start to get them training. And not only is it too late at that point, in my opinion. But if you get training much earlier on, I think you can also be a better project team member even before you're a manager because you understand project management. You know what your PM is trying to accomplish and you can help them deliver on the project. So I think that that's a really important point there that Scott makes is that in some of these industries, you're going to get thrown into projects right off the bat on day one and you may not be managing them right away, but it's certainly going to help you to understand kind of scope, schedule, budgeting, and the different project management components. That's something to keep in mind. So, Scott, we've heard a little bit about agile project management. I've heard that term thrown around. How has agile project management influenced the buildings industry? And maybe you could also just like speak to what that is.
1: I think agile has really had an impact in the project management world. And that's primarily been within the last 10 years or maybe even 15. But the origins for agile are kind of different people think different things about the origins of it. But I would say, Generally speaking, it came out of the software world and has make, made its way into other industries to varying degrees. And I have start to see it uh, influencing the design and construction world. But I think I would also mention too that design and construction are kind of heavy engineering type projects are not software. They typically have very long lead times, very expensive procurement and complicated procurement and construction processes. Generally, when I see hybrid influences on project management in our industry, it tends to be in what's called hybrid. So there are certain aspects of Agile that kind of get incorporated, but it's not what you would call complete Agile or simply uh, like a scrum project delivery.
0: So it's kind of blended in to some degree.
1: Yeah, I would say that. And I've certainly had some projects, they're not the norm, but ones where you would kind of organize A project not by just schedule and milestones, but by like how many resources you have working on a project for how long. And you might do a sprint that kind of lasts three weeks or something like that and kind of see where you stand at the end of that. But I have found that those that sort of setup doesn't seem to be one that carries through an entire project beginning to end in most cases. That's one that I would say is more agile heavy, but. On the other end of the spectrum, most of our projects are still ones that you plan out, you have to set up some sort of expectation of cost and schedule. And you have to work to it, but the the big part that I see more and more of is just change so owner driven changes market driven changes and we have to be much better at how we do change management on projects.
0: And so for those of you out there, you know, kind of that haven't really heard that much about agile project management. I mean, one of the ways that it's defined is it's an, an iterative approach to delivering a project throughout the life cycle. So Scott mentioned it's used a lot in software where software teams will kind of sprint on a piece of the software. They're designing, they're sprinting, they're trying different things, they're breaking things, they're kind of over and over. And I guess the benefits of it is you're seeing a lot of things as you go through the process, a lot of wins, then some things don't work out it can be very beneficial in finding like new avenues. And so if you try to apply that to components of project management, typically in project management, like Scott said, you have a beginning, you have an end, and you kind of work your way through that, like a, the logical process groups and steps of a project. But I think with the agile approach, you're kind of throwing more stuff against the wall in each one of these phases, trying different things, seeing what works. It's kind of a more dynamic way to do it. It's just something, to Scott's point, you probably can't do it the whole time with our projects. They're too big and it would be a, lot of, a little tricky to do. But you can certainly try it on one of the phases of your project. And there's lots of kind of research and stuff online if you wanted to kind of look at some examples in project management and try to apply them. So Scott, how does project scaling influence the preparation of a project?
1: I definitely see a link there. So I tend to do these days mostly what I would call small projects or ones that have a quick timeline or maybe my involvement is just for couple of weeks, and then I jump off and then I wait for construction to get to a certain point. And so in those instances, it does require a little bit of a different approach. So for commissioning, for example, right, I tend to have some involvement during design, come up with a commissioning plan I review drawings I review submittals. And then a lot of it after that can be waiting for construction to get to a certain point where mechanical electrical plumbing systems are even going in. In those cases, yeah, I kind of can jump off of a project and not see much of it for a couple months. So I think it's really important to to kind of get a process down, especially if it's a type of project that you do a lot of. So something you can kind of iterate on. Now for projects that are more one-off, so this is, I would say, kind of another specialty of mine, and that is to do projects that are unusual, usually require a lot of research, and are ones that are generally kind of difficult to scope. And so those are the ones I really have to spend some time planning on up front. And I'm also really clear about what the deliverables will be and what the expectations are for timelines. And yeah, those are ones where there's not an established process. Sometimes we don't actually know what we're going to find out until the research is done. And in those cases, I find, yeah, I'd like to plan it out more, but I also like to kind of leave in there opportunities for say, owner review and feedback or um, kind of an extended part of the project that can be tacked on at the end.
0: This is a really important part of project management because every project tends to be different in some way, but I think there are projects that are similar in nature. You have different, similar types of projects that you can run into Like, for example, I know in the civil engineering world, if you're doing a small bridge project, it can be very similar to the next small bridge project. Whereas if you're doing a very large bridge project, it's going to be a little bit different. And so I think to Scott's point, one of the things you can do as a project manager is develop a process or a philosophy for each of the types of projects that you're going to encounter as a project manager so that when you start a new project, you're not completely starting from scratch. You can pull from old templates and processes of a similar project. And it will make your life as a project manager a lot easier, but also it'll ensure that there's quality or there's a consistent level of quality from project to the project because you're not trying to recreate the reel on each project for as a project manager. And so, I mean, even at EMI, I mean, we'd obviously don't do engineering. We do a lot of uh, learning and development for engineering companies, but we have different types of projects. We do custom training. We do a, a general program that we have that we give regularly. And when we get a new project, we have kind of a template of steps and checklists that we need to do for that project that we can start from and build off of that and then work around that. Now, one of the things that you mentioned a little bit there, Scott, and your answer was scoping and project scoping and proposals are really important parts of a project early on in a project. So how do you approach project scoping and proposals in the work you do?
1: With scoping out projects and putting together fees and schedules. That's something that I always like to put some thought into. So even a small project, I'm usually going to plan out at least an hour or two sitting down and going through numbers. And if it's a process that you know well, you may be able to kind of go through some of those checks quicker. Uh, Certainly the more unique the project, the more time and consideration you'll probably want to give it and maybe even ask others for a bit of quality review, even in project setup. I know with uh, putting together fees, I do like to kind of use two approaches if I can. So uh, the bottom-up approach, right, where you're going through and you're individually coming up with tasks and you come up with, okay, this task is, you know, 24 hours of effort. This other task is this much. And the phasing of it, does this one need to be finished before task two? And then I also like to do a top-down pricing run on it as well. So looking at it, so if it's commissioning, it's typically like a a dollar per square foot and try to kind of give that a sanity check, right? Because at least with most people I've worked with over the years, the bottom-up approach can tend to result in a fee that's a little bit higher than maybe is realistic for the work, but is very thorough. And then if you do a top-down approach to it, you can kind of maybe give it a sanity check and be like, okay, this is actually going to be competitive in the marketplace. And maybe trim a little bit of fat. But I find it important to kind of take both approaches if I can. And there's kind of one other point too that's not necessarily related to pricing, but when I'm scoping projects, I think it's also really important to get buy in from the people that are staffing that project. So sometimes I'll do projects where I'm managing it and I'm the technical lead. And those ones, it's a little more straightforward. But if I'm managing a project that's got totally different technical focus on it. In those cases, I think it's really important to get by in because I see projects go wrong, usually in the execution phase where if you're working with engineers and they decide that you know the fee is totally out of whack from what the actual work is, then it, things just tend to not go well.
0: I love that. And I'm going to recap it a little bit for those of you not familiar with cost estimating. So the bottom-up approach, I believe, is the most common approach used in project management from what I've heard from engineering professionals. And like Scott said, you're basically starting and you're just building the project more or less, right? Like, what's the first couple of tasks we're going to do, the next couple of tasks we're going to do, and you're pricing out each of those, and then you're going to add them all up, right? And you're going to come up with that total cost. But then on the flip side, you can go in the reverse and go top down. You could say, well, listen, if this is a 100,000 square foot building in New York City, I can look it up construction manuals or you know get a pricing from somewhere and say hey it's supposed to be x amount per square foot construction cost multiply it out get your big cost and see how close you were to it and if the two are off by a lot then you probably got to make some decisions maybe rework it get some historical data look at some other things if they're pretty close then they're pretty close but at least you've looked at it with two different kind of methods so to speak a very practical method and then obviously more of a theoretical method so I like that approach a lot. I really like the approach, quite frankly, of just using more than one cost estimating approach. And then of course, getting someone on your team also to give it a check as like a final check or sign off is another good thing to do too. You know, Another set of eyes on it. We tend to get so in the details on these things. Sometimes we just need to step back and maybe let someone else take a peek at it. But those sound like very practical approaches to cost estimating, which are great. So we've got the scoping early on in the project. Then we start to get into project execution and kind of something you mentioned earlier, like adding value for your clients or the in your case, the owners. Talk a little bit about some of your thoughts or philosophy on project execution and, and adding value.
1: In the roles I'm in, so we talked a little about commissioning and energy efficiency. So generally, most owners are not building a building just to be energy efficient. That's one thing that they want to do, and they wanted to supplement the building, but the building itself is their business model. They're coming up, they're leasing space out, or maybe it's a restaurant and they've they've got customers, they've got some mission they're trying to fulfill with that space. And so I try to take the approach of trying to always make an improvement on those projects I'm involved with. And sometimes that involves a smaller role, sometimes that's a more major role. So with commission in particular, I actually can kind of throttle up or down a little bit based on the quality of the contractors on the project. So, are they doing a good job with workmanship? Are they struggling with one of the trades or integrating controls in one aspect? And I can kind of course correct a little bit. And so I always want to stay in front of them and still communicate as we go through construction. Even really good contractors can get complacent. but. I'm always kind of wearing the hat of just sort of how can I add value to this team, even when I'm not someone who's out there on site every day.
0: You always want to add value, I think, in anything you do as a project manager, really as a professional. But I think that one thing that's another kind of a challenge or a fail that I've seen with a lot of consulting firms as well is they talk a lot about. As To be an effective project manager, you need to manage the project to the scope, schedule, and budget. And I agree with that. And I think that's fundamental. I think it's very important. But I think there's another thing you need to do, which is focusing on your client satisfaction. Right? I kind of feel like those are the two things that project managers need to do, scope, schedule, budget, and client satisfaction. I think sometimes we forget the second one, or we forget to teach, especially younger PMs about the second one. And to me, I mean, that's critical because you could manage the project the scope, schedule, and budget all you want, but if the client's not happy for whatever reason, they're not going to come back to you. And in the world we live in, quite a bit of our work is repeat work, right? Repeat clients. And so I just would say for those of you out there, that adding value that Scott has talked about a couple of times now so far in our conversation is I think one of the most important things you can do as a project manager. And as much as I highly recommend that you get up to speed on all the PM tactics and strategies in managing scope, schedule, and budget, and doing the estimating like we talked about in the scoping, it's all critical. I mean, we do a lot of training on those things, but you also need to remember that the client has to be satisfied with the project or else you're not going to have a lot of projects going forward. So keep that in mind as you move forward. So Scott, one more question I got for you here before we go into our, our final segment, which is what are some of the bigger lessons that you've learned as a project manager that you can share with the PMs out there that are watching?
1: I guess one thing that I would recommend, and I don't know if it's obvious or not, but I'm, I'm kind of an introverted individual, typical engineer, right? I'm perfectly happy plugging away in my machine, doing spreadsheets, right? But one thing I've found is that when a project doesn't go well or it fails, Yeah, it occasionally is a technical issue, but more often than not, I found it's from project management related issues, not managing expectations properly. And one of the biggest ones I see is just if you have a problem on a project, an issue comes up. With design and construction, long timelines, expensive equipment and building materials is that when issues come up, they don't really do better with age. The sooner you can bring things in front of owners, contractors, other designers, and being like, hey, there's a problem here. We need to find a fix for it, that it almost always turns out better for everyone involved. And sometimes it's not a fun thing. You might go there and be like, hey, we really underbid this project. Uh, The scope is like way more than we thought it was. Those are not always fun conversations to have, but in my experience, if there's a problem like that and it's a real problem, then it's gotta be talked about and addressed. And whether that's with executives internally or with owners, but it's something that almost always tends to get worse with time if you don't address it head on.
0: Having difficult conversations is an important part of being an effective project manager. And again, kind of goes back to what I said before with the client satisfaction. I mean, in the short term, in a conversation, they might get upset with you. But in the long term, I think the relationship's going to be better. The projects are going to be better if you're honest with them and you're you know, kind of a straight shooter with them because ultimately you represent them. You're doing the job for them. And so they want someone who's honest and is going to tell them what they need to know. And I've always found in my dealings with clients that being brutally honest, even if we mess something up, builds trust with them. And I think in the long term, that's what you really want. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to finish up with Scott in our PM Pitfalls segment. We'll be right back. All right, I'm back with our guest for today. Scott West is a mechanical engineer from Harrison French and Associates, HFA in Fort Worth, Texas. All right, Scott, so to wrap us up for today here, I want to ask you what's the biggest project management pitfall or challenge that you've seen in your time as a project manager? And how would you recommend PMs either avoid it or handle this situation?
1: This one is one that I think may seem obvious, but often is not. And that is to actually plan for project management time when you're budgeting out a project and be sure you're including this, right? So depending on how complex your project is, you may spend five to maybe even 10% of a project budget just managing all the bits and pieces or even coordinating with the owner, vendors, or contractors. That's especially true for just accounting for meeting time. So I've been on one or two projects where I was thinking, okay, here's the scope. It's this amount of technical work. I think that it's gonna go by uh, fairly quickly, not a ton of work. But then I find out when I get into it, that even though my little bit of scope might not be a lot, I'm expected to be at these project teams or construction team meetings, you know, every week or every other week, and the schedule drags on for months. And so, even when some of those seem small, I'm like, "Whoa! I just blew half my budget on meetings," and that's something that can definitely be prevented. And really, with a lot of owners, I think some of them don't understand maybe that the reporting. That needs to happen or that they're asking for has a real dollar sign attached to it. In a lot of instances, if you bring this to them, they may be like, oh, well, actually, we don't need you in on every meeting. We can probably just do once a month. And really, I just like to be as straightforward about that to owners and and clients as I can, because it's a real cost and we can keep them as informed as they want to be in a project, but it's really just what they're willing to pay for.
0: That's a great point. I mean, I know In the civil engineering industry, a lot of times when we had meetings on projects, we would just have a phase for meetings that was an hourly charge. So, like, whatever, if the meeting was three hours, it's three hours. If it's not, however, I think generally speaking, though, to your point, just accounting for project management activities in your projects is so critical in the budget, whether you put a percentage on top of your whole fee for project management or you have a line item literally for project management activities. But I think it's important because managing the project and engaging in project management activities usually drives the success of the project. So if you're stressed out about the budget and you're trying to cut corners with your PM efforts, you're only going to hurt the project long-term. So I think, again, being upfront with your client and letting them know, hey, we have a little fee in there for our project management, which is going to streamline your project. It's going to make sure that we're saving you money. We're doing value-add engineering, et cetera. It's a really important point. So that was a great way to kind of end this off for today. So Scott, listen... Thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the Engineering Project Management Podcast. You gave us some really good tips and pointers, and we appreciate the time.
1: Thanks for having me on, Anthony.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Scott. I really thought that his PM pitfall there at the end was awesome. I mean, you really do need to take time to budget for project management activities, whether it's the time it will take, the dollars that you'll spend on that, because if you don't, then you're not going to manage projects well because you're going to be afraid to burn your budget. And that's a problem. And so that was awesome. And I also appreciated some of his thoughts on getting an MBA, which was interesting as well. So please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at www.engineeringpmpodcast.com. That's engineeringpm for project management podcast.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode You can also put in your own guest. If Go to the Contact Us page and tell us who you think is a great project manager. Maybe you're a project manager with some tips and you want to come on the show. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering project management endeavors.